Sometimes people find themselves pregnant and it's not always welcome. For some, biological motherhood isn't always possible. People really want children, but it hasn't always been possible. For some people, mothers weren't always that nice to them. Perhaps some mothers were abusive, and today is difficult for you. For some of you, motherhood under the very best of circumstances is still less than a bed of roses. So it's not always what the media portray it. Sometimes it is difficult for some people. So with all those qualifications, why do we bother with Mother's Day? Is it Clinton cards? Is it to get money in the shops? What is it? Because with all of its stumbling blocks, pitfalls, broken dreams, soiled nappies and spoiled plans, we're talking about a beautiful ideal, something from the very heart of God, God's creative plan for love and caring. God has placed that within mothers. It's a constant demand for the love and the gift of sharing. Exodus says, oh, it's worked. <laughs> honour your father and mother. Do you know, I looked honour up, so I wondered what it really meant. Sometimes we say these words and we don't always know what they mean, but honour means to highly respect, highly respect and esteem greatly. Do we do that with our mothers? Do we do that with the women, the sisters in the church here? Do we highly respect one another? You know, when my mum's gone to be with the Lord, she died very quickly. And when I look back on those years that sometimes I was a naughty girl and sometimes I was a good girl. And perhaps you wish you could have that time all over again to show the respect that she was due. She was a good, godly lady and she prayed for me for many years. So honouring your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It's the first commandment with a promise. Did you know that Mother's Day was the fourth Sunday in Lent? I know we're not Anglicans here. We've got a couple on the front row. <laughs> but I was an Anglican for 10 years because I worked at St. John's with the homeless. And I know some of you here have said to me they've given up chocolate for Lent. I know Zoe was one of those people. She said, I'm not eating chocolate for 40 days. And I thought, good for you, Zoe. But today is a day in Lent that fasting could be put aside. It was a special day when people in service were giving that day off to go and visit their mothers. So you can all, if you're going without chocolate for 40 days, today you can have loads of it. <laughs> and then tomorrow you've got to stop again. I'll just tell you a story about a mother. She was putting her son to bed on the eve of his fifth birthday. She was trying to communicate that birthday idea to him. She said, Kevin, this is the last day of your fourth night, like you do to children. Do you understand that? Kevin was ready to communicate with his hands 
For a full year, he has shown people his four fingers. For a full year, he had shown people his four fingers, and now he was ready to add a thumb. <laughs> Seeing his four fingers, his mother nodded and said, when you go to sleep tonight, Kevin, you will still be four years old. But do you know how old you will be in the morning when you wake up? Kevin nodded enthusiastically, added his thumb to his four little fingers and said, tomorrow I will be a handful. <laughs> mothers who still have their hands full, we celebrate you today. <laughs> Children are a heritage, aren't they? Children are a heritage. It says in Psalm 127, 3 to 5, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. <laughs> I thought I'd look up how big a quiver was. <laughs> but when I started looking, I was even more confused because there's many quivers, there's many sorts of arrows, and I thought, well, I don't know. But all I know is it's many of them. So the more you have the more you will be blessed. And these are some of... Oh, yeah, that one. There. I don't know why God gave me four sons. I think he needed to sort me out, really. <laughs> but then having six granddaughters and see how different they were from my four sons and how much more emotional they are, perhaps I was blessed with four sons. <laughs> Do you know what women are like? <laughs> no comment, yeah. How do you view God this morning? When I was preparing this, I was thinking, for years, you know, I view God as someone who was up there, distant. This is the image I had, someone with a long beard, sitting on a throne, almost angry with me, judging me, just somebody who was, not really in favour of me. It took me a long time. I've been a Christian many years. But it was just like perhaps a revelation one day. I saw that God was good. I saw a different picture of him. I saw him as someone who, whose arms were open. He was someone who embraced me, who wanted me to come and sit with him. Someone I could call <coughs> dearest father or Abba Father. I love that song, he's a good, good father. He does discipline his children, he does discipline us when we need it. He does hate sin in our life, but he's a loving God. Sometimes Phil says to me, don't you, don't you believe God will always come through for us? He's come through for us for 60 years, and sometimes I say to Phil, oh, what are we going to do? And then for years, God's blessed me. For years, I've known his goodness in my life. So how do you view the Father this morning? What is he in your mind? What image does he create in your mind? He says, the scripture says he is spirit. 
His worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. He's not confined to one place. He's the creator. He's the father of all. He can be everywhere. He sent his son Jesus to manifest himself in the flesh. So that's how we relate to God through Jesus Christ. But there's within God this compassionate nature. He understands mothers. I'm not trying to give you a wrong image of God or a different gender because that's a whole different thing to get in with. I'm not going there today. But I want you to know he understands mothers. He understands fathers. He understands parenting <coughs> because it is difficult at times, isn't it, to be a parent. In Genesis it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. So everything comes out of God, man and woman. God, em everything emanates from God, the whole creation. So surely he must understand motherhood. There are many scriptures um, this morning about God's compassionate and caring nature because he understands those he has made. I love this one in Isaiah 49. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So a mother may forget. Sometimes... I was just thinking today of my, uh, my um, sister-in-law in Croydon. She had seven children and she was a foster mother as well. And one day we were leaving church in the van all together and she had forgotten one of the children <laughs> because she has to have a head count. She had seven of her own and then she adopted and she's fostered hundreds of children. But she did forget a child that day. <laughs> but, you know, God never forgets us, does he? He's engraved us on the palms of his hands. I think that's amazing. When you engrave something, you can't just erase it, can you? It's like there, it's never to go away. It's permanent. He's engraved us on the palms of his hands. We are his children. As Eva said this morning, we are his children. God is so for us. He is not against us. I was thinking of the engraving, then I thought about the nail prints of Christ in his hands. You know, they're never, even, even after the resurrection, the wound in his side and the nail prints in his hands never disappeared. Because Thomas said he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he says, unless I see those nail prints, unless I can put my hand in your side, I can't believe that you really are the risen Christ. So why didn't those marks disappear after he was risen to the, from the dead? Why have they stayed as a memorial? Because we live in a wounded world. And the wounds, we suffer wounds through life, especially sometimes as parents. But he can always identify with us because he still bears those wounds of the stuff he went through for us on the cross. Those wounds are still there. When I worked at the um, soup kitchen, it was 20 years. Some of the best years of my life, really, I suppose, because I think it changed me as a person. 
but there were so many single mums there. I can never talk about this without crying. Um, there was lots of single mums there and um, their children had been taken off them because they, they couldn't look after them. Some of them had three, four, five, six children and either through mental health or all sorts of things, they couldn't look after their children. So they were put in care. And I never really quite understood the caring system because they wouldn't be allowed to contact their children perhaps until they were 16. It was so sad because, you know, they would remember, they might have some written, you know, communication. They could write a birthdays, but not always contact, you know. They were not allowed the contact. And um, it was just sad because they, we would have conversations and they would say about their families, say about all the children they had and where they were. But the biggest delight to me was when I went with them. When it got to that age, about 16, when they were free then to find their mother and they always wanted to find their biological mother. And I went with a couple of them when they were reunited. And even though they'd had that gap of, what, 10, 15, 20 years, there was such a joy that day when those mothers were reunited with their children. That's, that's the compassion of God and his children. Exciting. Isaiah 66. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. To read this in context, Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel. And they were always wandering, always after other gods, always worshipping other idols he still extended the compassion of a mother to them. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. We are his Israel today, and if we need comforting, he promises to comfort us. I'm getting a bit um, theological now, but the Hebrew word for compassion is raham, and it means womb-like. So from God comes this compassion. From his very being, his mercy, his grace. He's abounding in mercy. He's abounding in love. He's abounding in compassion. And that's what motherhood often is. It's a sacrifice. We have to give ourselves to our children. We have to give ourselves to the body of Christ. Because in this body, even though you might not have biological children, there are mothers in the church of Jesus Christ. Mothers who can nurture others. Mothers who can disciple others. So no one is excluded. If you've biologically not had children, you still are a mother in Christ. In Kenya, there's 200 orphans. I'm sure when Catherine and Levan go there, they feel like they're mothers to those children. 200 children who've lost their mother for whatever the reason or the mothers can't look after them. But when you go to these places and you cuddle those children and you love them, you're being a mother to them. In Job 38, 29, it says, from whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? Again, we see that picture of 
a birthing process, God birthing his creation. And in the New Testament, when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, how often he says, I've longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Another picture of the mothering of God. So perhaps it might help you to view things in a different way today. From, every, from God emanates everything, the mothering as well. Just like to spend a short while now on just three significant mothers in the Bible. A protective mother, a praying mother, and a passionate mother. I suppose there's many stories I could have picked on, but I think the one that I like was the story of Moses. And um, most of you know the stories how the Egyptian wanted to kill the babies, the Hebrew babies. And there was a mother called Jochebed who had a baby and she wanted to protect him. It's the instincts of a mother to want to protect their children. It's something that God just puts in there. And she made a basket, as you well know, and then put the baby in the basket and sent him down the Nile. It's a very brave thing to do, isn't it? Do you think you could have done that and just watch your baby go off floating down the Nile? But God had a plan for that baby's life. And as it went floating down the Nile, the princess comes out from the palace and she sees this thing in the water and she goes to open it and she knew very well, I think, that this was a Hebrew baby, but she knew the directive from the palace was to kill all the he Hebrew babies. But the sister of Moses, and the baby was Moses, as you well know, she was hiding in the bulrushes just to see what was going to happen to her brother. And as she saw the princess pick the baby up, she said to her, shall I get my mother? My mother can come and nurse the baby. And so she went off to get Jochebed, and Jochebed nursed the baby until he was of an age, Moses, where he could go and live in the palace and fulfil God's plan for his life to let his people go. God has a plan for our children's life. We would do anything to protect our kids. Often um, my boys went to school in um, Northwood, and often we'd get um, telephone calls from the school, believe it or not, that some misdemeanour um, they had done. I'm not going to tell you which one because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think, I don't think that's fair. But whatever one it was, <laughs> I'll let you guess. And um, we'd get these calls saying, oh, Mrs. Edward, your son has done this. Whatever it was, it might be smoking behind the bike shed, um, or he's raided the tuck shop, or he's given some abuse to the poor teacher who can't cope with teaching anymore. She might have to leave the school. And um, I used to get these calls, but my, my, my immediate reaction was, are you sure that's not my... <laughs> my children, my children are perfect. <laughs> and, and then I would get all high and mighty and think, well, I send them to school. You should be looking after them in the day. What are you ringing me for? 
And so we tried to offload this stuff. And then we'd go to open evening and you'd go from one teacher, oh, so-and-so, he's not concentrating. So-and-so, he's causing havoc in the gym. And then by the time you got to the sixth one, I said to Phil, I'm not listening to anymore. <laughs> We're going home. <laughs> But you know, your kids never do anything wrong, do they? No. Your kids are perfect, and you would do anything to protect them. I don't care what they were doing. I would go out at night and look for them. I didn't sleep much during the teenage years because I would be looking out the window constantly for them to come home. They never knew that. And as soon as they come home, I thought, oh, I can get into bed and go to sleep now. But... That's what you do. That's what God has put in our heart for our, our boys, our families. And he is just the same as well. The praying mother. Prayer sometimes is the only key in family life because you know that without prayer, there's so many different ways that teenagers could go off. Hannah is an example of this. Um, Hannah in the Old Testament she was barren, she couldn't have children, and um, Elkanah had two wives. Hannah was one of them, and Penina was another. And every time she went to the temple, the other wife would make fun of her and say, oh, like, almost like, you can't have children. There's something wrong with you. I can have children. You know, what is wrong with you? You're barren. And she would make fun of her. But she prayed to God, and she <laughs> never stopped praying to God about if he could open her womb and give her children. And she made God this promise that if you give me a child, I will promise to give him back to you all the days of my life. She made a promise to God. And so God gave her a child. His name was Samuel. And when he came to an age after weaning, she took him to the temple and he grew up in the temple to serve God. And there's a whole big story about Samuel and what he did. God gave her other children. You know, we give our children to God. It's important. Dedication is a way you do it. Christening is a way we do it. We give that gift back to God. And then God entrusts us with the bringing up of those children to mother, to father them. <coughs> but you know, they're not really ours. And one, one day... God might call them to go somewhere like Hong Kong, <laughs> like Hastings, or wherever it is. And we just have to release them because they're gods. So although we have the thing of looking after them, they're not really ours. So release your children to fulfill what God has in their life. Keep praying for them. Those times when the teenage years are really difficult for them. Growing up, they're in different bodies. They're trying to be the same as their peers. And it's, it's not an easy time being a teenager. But parents, I know prayer is the best thing. I would pray, not one for just getting on my knees, but I would pray at the kitchen sink. I prayed at the kitchen sink many times. Cried out to God, seen our marriage put back together, seeing the children. There was a time when none of our children were in church. That's a bit 
depressing when my husband's a pastor and we <laughs> you sort of think, what have we done wrong? You know, not one of them at one point was in church. And then one by one, God brings them home. So don't give up on your kids. You know, God is faithful. And the seeds that you sow in their lives will come to fruition. The passionate mother. What other mother do you think we could talk about here but the mother of Jesus? Mary. A young woman told she was going to have a baby. She didn't seem to make a fuss. She submitted to the will of God. She submitted to what he wanted for her life. She was passionate about doing the will of the Father. Even at that young age, she said, Be it unto me as you have said. You have told me, God, I will bear a child and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. She was with him at the marriage of Cana. I'm sure she was with him a lot of his ministry. And when the wine ran out, she was saying, Jesus, the wines will run out. She was probably panicking like mothers do. And he told her, just go and get those water jars and fill the, get the disciples to fill them with water and just watch me. Just watch me do a miracle. She'd stood by Jesus throughout his ministry. She was there at the start and she was there at the end. After Jesus is stripped of his clothes and left hanging naked on the cross, there is a moment filled with gentleness and kindness. Can you imagine Jesus going through all that agony? And at the end of, the, of his session on the cross, this is what he says in John 19, verse 26 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother. Now can you imagine, at that time, he was still thinking of his mother there at the cross. The beloved disciple was John, John the one who had laid on his breast. John the one that seemed closest to Jesus at many times. He was standing at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Jesus says, dear woman, here is your son. Meaning to Mary, John, this is your son. And to the disciple, to John, Jesus said, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So as Jesus was going back to be one with the Father, he had accomplished everything that the Father had sent him to do. He was now saying to Mary, John will take you into his home and you will be one with him. He will treasure you and look after you because I go back to the Father. Don't you think that's touching? That, that at the end of that time, he was still concerned about his mother. A final gesture of Jesus. So today I hope that's encouraged you, that those of you who are mothers with children will not give up. 
those of you in the church who are older, just see yourself as spiritual mothers, taking younger mothers or women under your wing. We're here to help you. We're here to love you. And just to see that motherhood is something that's in God as well. His compassion, his mercy, his love goes beyond all lengths. Don't see him someone who's judging you, someone who's cross with you. See him today as a good, good father. And he's got good, good things for his children. He's got good, good things for this church. We might be small in number, but we're a mighty army. And God just wants us to go throughout this earth with a banner against the enemy, driving back the forces of evil and gaining people for the kingdom of God. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. Every woman here, happy Mother's Day. They always look back before turning the corner, for their mother was always at the window to nod and smile and wave her hand at them. Somehow it seemed as if they couldn't get through the day without that face at the window. For whatever the mood might be, the last glimpse of that motherly face was sure to affect them like sunshine. So have a great day. And um, we've got a little present for all the women here. So we'll give that out now. And if Dave, Phil, Mark, if you can take one box each and just give them to all the women, please. Okay, one box. Some go to the back.